It feels like 4th of July, you either love it or you could care less when it comes to the fireworks and firecrackers. For me, I could care less. I could never see fireworks again and I'd be perfectly fine. Monday, July 5th, episode 98 of The Hezzy, brought to you by BasketballGods.net. We've got the final set. When was it? Saturday night, game six in Atlanta. The Bucks come out for the kill shot. They came out aggressive. We've talked all playoff long about the ups and downs of this team and what Bucks team would show up in what game. It was a crapshoot, right? Trey Young would play. Giannis would not. And let's call it what it was. Trey hurt his team. He was off. He was taking a bunch of deep threes, settling. He couldn't move well. And look, I'm not going to fault him for going out there and trying to play. He's the leader of that young team. And on that stage in that moment, you can't really tell him no, right? And, you know, it was what it was. Maybe, you know, the Hawks, I think all in all, they've had a great season. We'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, yeah, the Bucks come out. And you know, you know what it felt like? It also felt like the Bucks' size seemed to finally kind of wear down the Hawks. Bobby Portis, huge game. And then it didn't help that that Herter was just awful. What did he start the game? One of eight. We've seen these young guys have these up and down games. And Herter, I don't know how you can't be impressed with him. He looks like he's going to be a legit uh, third option, let's say, right? He could be a second option, but ideally he's probably your third option. The one thing that I'm not particularly fond with when it comes to Kevin Herter's game is his release. It's not only low, but it's out too, away from his body. Now, obviously he can stroke it, pause, but I think that you can get a strong contest on him, almost as if he's a smaller guard, right? Like Kevin Herter's six foot seven, but if you look at that release and that set point, you can contest it. He doesn't shoot at the size that he is, right? And he's got a nice float game. So I'm just impressed with the Hawks overall. They have nothing to be ashamed with, but it just felt like it was too much. This Bucks team, I think a lot of these players are at a different stage in their career. Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Lopez, they're at the stage in their career where it's now or never. And I think you saw that hunger and that realization of that play out in the end of this series. The Hawks, true to form though, like they did all playoffs, they didn't roll over, right? They hung around and they hung around, but you knew things were looking grim when Teague checked into the game and started splashing threes, right? It was like, oh, oh. And then in that third quarter, Middleton with the knockout punch. Where would you rank Middleton as a heat check artist? He's easily top 10 in the league. I'm thinking if you can go top five, right? Meaning like when he gets hot, it's a problem, right? You, you Clay, Dame, you know, Steph, the usual suspects at the top of the list, I don't know if you can put him top five, but he's definitely top 10. And you saw in that third quarter, there was nothing you could do with him. You, you might have had to just hard foul him. But again, I thought it was a great season for the Hawks. And it feels like if you're Atlanta, all you really got to do is come back healthy and whole. Understanding how young you are, you expect a lot of these guys to be back better just naturally, right? With time, experience, and work. You saw what Cam Reddish is turning into, right? I've never seen that type of emotion from from Cam Reddish, right, at Duke. That, that was the knock on him, right? He sleptwalked through that season at Duke. But man, he was turned up. And then hopefully DeAndre Hunter can get back to being the player and the athlete that he was because it does seem like, I think if there was a black eye on their season, it looks like the mishandling of that knee 
Is it a question or are we just going to assume that the Hawks are going to max John Collins? Another guy that impressed me all the way through, but that's tough. As good as he was in the playoffs, a max though? Max though? We're talking a max? <laughs> no, nah, but, uh, you know, I think that changes the optics for John Collins and the expectations, right? Where if you're paying him a buck 50, 18 and nine is no longer a good game, bro. And so I think he's he's just one of those in-between guys where you would hope to find a middle ground, but there's he wanted a max before the playoffs. He damn sure wants one after. So you assume they give it to him. I'm sure Travis Schlank and the front office is going to toy with the idea of letting him walk and trying to just add like two for one. Go get two more guys you can add to the rotation rather than investing all in him. But it's going to be a tough sell, man, because, you know, his chemistry with Trey and that pick and roll, you can't find that, right? That's uncanny. Despite them kind of having a, you know, up and down relationship throughout the season, it feels like they're bonded. All right, let's talk about this finals matchup. I can't front. I'm torn because I feel like the Suns are the better team, but the Bucks match up better. Let's just look at the matchup on paper. Obviously, there's going to be some cross matchups throughout, but you got Holiday and Chris Paul. That's going to be tough for Chris Paul. One advantage that CP usually has against the other guard is that low center of gravity allows him to be the stronger guard. And he does have the lower center of gravity, but Holiday, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen Holiday get knocked off balance, right? He's not going to be able to get under Holiday's hips and kind of push him around. Middleton and Booker. Chris Middleton is an underrated defender. He's got a lot of length that he can, you know, use against Devin Booker. And then you've got Tucker, Mikel Bridges. And hey, PJ was Bridges before Bridges in Phoenix, right? This is a kind of come full circle moment for PJ against the team that really got him going in the NBA, the Suns. Then you got Giannis and Crowder, where we'll talk about that. Let's let's hold off on that one. And then I think the X Factor matchup at the center position with Lopez and eight. Again, on paper, I think you have to like the Bucks in most of those matchups, just off experience. But there's a reason they don't play the games on paper. Look, if Giannis was healthy, I don't think there's any doubt the Bucks would be the favorite. But I'm having a hard time believing. He'll be truly healthy at any point in this series. I'm sure he'll play, right? But just like you saw with Trey in that elimination game Saturday night, he might end up hurting this team, at least in the first game or two. But then it could be too late. Like, you can't afford to go down 0-2 figuring out if Giannis can go. That's the dilemma they're under because at this point, if he wants to go, you kind of got to let him go. Nothing is a given. This could be his only time in the finals, so they're going to let him play, no doubt, but I just don't know at what capacity. Now, obviously, Crowder is going to be the main matchup, and he's familiar with him. They've played each other plenty of times. He helped Miami neutralize him in the bubble last year, and I think you could look and say, well, when the Bucks get out and run and Giannis is pushing the ball, that's where Crowder gets eaten up, right? He can't compete up and down the floor with Giannis in those long strides. But will Giannis be able to get out and play with pace? Because I would imagine that would be the part of his game that's compromised with the knee, right? His ability to kind of push and sprint and play fast. You take that away, and now that Crowder matchup looks a lot different, right? In the half court, where he can body him up and use that low center of gravity, that's not 
nearly as much of a mismatch as it normally would be, again, if Giannis has to play slower. Now, as far as the coaching goes, I think it's advantage Suns, and it's not even close. Monty will be more dynamic, and I think he has more depth and looks to go to, and I think he'll use that. Another question I have is where do the Suns hide Chris Paul? I don't think you can put him on Drew. That's just going to wear him down, right, how physical Drew is. So you'd assume you'd put Chris Paul on his former teammate and P.J. Tucker, and he can just kind of stand off in the corner and rest for offense. Then the question becomes, does Bud counter that with Connington? Does he pull P.J. off the floor? Because Connington, that's you know, he'll still stand off in the corner, but he's going to attack closeouts a lot differently than P.J. Tucker, right? P.J. just has that little old man floater or he's letting go that shot put three. Connington's far more dynamic catching the ball on the weak side and could take advantage of Chris Paul, make Chris Paul work more defensively. Now, if you remember in the Clippers series when I was being very critical of Chris Paul, it was because he was being too predictable. He was coming off the pick and roll and Every time he was trying to get to that right elbow, and for the first three, four games of that series, Zubat was all over it. He was just meeting him right there and forcing him into super tough fadeaways. The problem is, that's the Bucks' specialty. That drop coverage, they're going to take away Chris Paul and Devin Booker's mid-range attack. That's what their defense does, right? It, again, the matchup, it's stylistically, it's a bad matchup for the Suns. And so what the Suns are going to have to do to counter that is they're going to have to feed Aiton early and often on the roll, cause some indecision for Lopez, Portis, and Giannis in that pick-and-roll coverage. If they're going to just confidently step up and meet Book and CP at the nail, it's going to be a long night trying to shoot those fadeaways over those big boys. They're going to have to keep Aiton involved, but really, I think it's going to come down to the Suns' corner shooters. If Jay Crowder, Mikel Bridges, and Cam Johnson shoot like they can, if they just shoot what their average is, the Suns are going to win their first chip. But the thing is, Book and CP cannot fall into playing hero ball like we saw them kind of being seduced into doing against the Clippers. Their advantage in this matchup is team basketball, right? It's spreading the Bucks out with four and five out sets. But that only works if you make the extra pass and you play team ball. The true X factor, of course, I think is the center matchup. Can Lopez pull eight and out of the paint with the three ball? He's so hit or miss with the three ball. There's games where he comes out and you're like, damn, he looks like he could just hit five of them every night. Other nights where he's like hesitant and he doesn't know if he wants to shoot it. So what Lopez are we going to get offensively? Because if he can pull eight and out of the paint, that's going to be a huge swing in this series as far as the rebounding and the spacing on the floor goes. On the flip side, can Aiton make Lopez pay for that drop coverage? He's got to be strong. He's got to be assertive. Rim run, beat him up and down the floor, and maybe get Lopez out of there. You know, obviously, this isn't the matchup we anticipated or probably even wanted outside of being a fan of one of these two teams. But I think we're going to be in for a competitive series. If you've been following the league long enough, you know, sometimes we get to the finals and for injuries or whatever the reason may be, you're like, oh, this doesn't, this doesn't look like it's going to be fair. It's not going to be competitive. Hell, every other final seems that way. So I think at least we're going to get a competitive series and we're going to see some legacies defined. So am I going to just ride the fence and give you the options? No, I'll give you my pick. 
I'll give you my pick. I believe in the Suns role players. I think they're deeper and they have better chemistry. And with a compromised Giannis, that will be too much for the Bucks to overcome. I got the Suns in seven. You guys see the Tokyo Olympic qualifying tournament took place here. I know a lot of Warrior fans keeping their eye on Andrew Wiggins for Canada and Nico Mannion for Italy. Someone explained to me how Team Canada has failed to make it. They lost. They didn't qualify for the Olympics with eight NBA players. Go look at their roster. I don't know how you want to read into that, but there's something there. I'm going to leave it at that, right? But like that's, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. But frankly, I'm glad as a Warriors fan. I am because Wiggins needs to go get in the lab. Him cruising through, you know, two or three weeks in Tokyo, it's not going to make him a better player. He's just going to do the same things that he does. He's going to be who he is. And that's fine. But we want him to get better. He needs some skills and drills. He needs to refine his game, in particular, his handle and his free throw shooting. My guy, on Twitter, he was asking me about the Nick Nurse rub. I guess Nick Nurse is coaching that Canadian team. I'm not going to act like I watched him play. I didn't. But uh, yeah, no, Nick Nurse, if you don't know already, is he's my favorite coach in the league. But I think that you have to understand there's a difference between a coach and a skills trainer or a player developer, right? And I'm sure if Wiggins played for Nick Nurse for the Raptors, who knows, that, that could be right around the corner, right, given the rumors. But I think Nurse would pull things out of him and put him in a lot of good spots, right? And he would get that Nick Nurse rub. But to just do it in in a little small mini training camp for the Olympics, they're probably just adding sets. They're not doing much. And and I think, again, there's a difference between coaching and player development. And Nurse is a master coach when it comes to strategies and motivationally. I think Toronto just also happens to have some of the best player development in the league. But I don't think that's all on Nurse. I think that that's a some of the assistance there and some of the stuff they do and who uh, Ujiri has put in place there. And it's funny too, because from the Warriors perspective, the last four or five years, you look at the Warriors coaching staff and it's really just been about chemistry and character. And it makes sense because I mean, how much player development do you need with four Hall of Famers on the roster, right? During the dynasty run, they weren't concerned with development. It was more about keeping the egos in check and everybody happy. And that's what their staff was designed for. And now I think you're seeing the Warriors try to adjust, right? And kind of correct course to who they are now. And that's why they're turning over their staff. They're bringing in some real skill guys, some guys that are going to develop these players. As for Wiggins and his performance, he, he shot really well. He was really efficient. That's cool. The only efficient number, again, that I'm concerned with that I was happy about is those free throws. 92% is small sample size, right? But I mean, let's go. If Wiggins can get his free throw percentage above 80 the rest of the way out for his career, that's going to be huge, man. That's going to be huge because whether he realizes it or not, it's going to encourage him to be more aggressive getting downhill and in, in, in the paint. He's not, I mean, he ain't Ben Simmons shy, right? But I think there are times where he's like, eh, you know, what is he shooting? He was shooting like damn near 60 something percent from free throw line. That's inexcusable for a talent like that. As for Nico Mannion, he showed well leading. Team Italy into the games. When I took a look at Nico's highlights and I, I saw some of his off-season training routine as well, he looks a lot leaner. He looks a lot leaner. 
I think what happened with Nico was going into his rookie year, he was concerned with the physicality of the league, and you saw him bulk up a lot from what he looked like at U of A. Again, trying to deal with the physicality. And to be honest with you, I think he probably got a little too thick. It, you know, it, it, it's you can't just add 20 pounds like that, right? And it appears like he has corrected that. He looks a lot quicker, a lot more explosive. And if I were to venture to guess, I'd bet you he's down 10, 15 pounds. I think he's found that sweet spot for him athletically. Now it's just getting some experience and some confidence with the top of the food chain. What else? What else? I will have my first prospect breakdown of this year's draft class in Scotty Barnes on Patreon. I'm hoping to get that out to y'all tomorrow afternoon. I've done all my homework. I've got all the footage. Now I just got to get it together in an entertaining package for y'all. So patrons, look for that tomorrow afternoon. This is The Hezzy, brought to you by basketballgods.net. I'm out, y'all.